This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 262 of The Bugle for the week beginning Monday, the 10th of March. 2014, that calendar just cannot stop itself. I am Andy Zaltzman, the Quentin Tarantino of the Carbonara, and joining me from New York City, USA, it's the man who could have been William Shatner if things had panned out very differently indeed on a number of levels. Small world. It's the satirical slap hammer himself, John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Uh, Andy, on Wednesday night, I did a charity event where I had to interview Questlove, uh, the drummer from The Roots, the musical director of The Tonight Show, the writer, DJ, restaurateur, lecturer, and current occupant of literally 12 separate jobs. <laughs> he is single-handedly keeping the unemployment rate in America high. But I believe he sleeps for 20 minutes a day hanging upside down like a bat. That is the only fathomable way he can get so much work done. But... The most notable part of the interview was that he had just had some pretty major dental surgery, which had involved him taking gas. And it is the first time I've ever interviewed someone who is still visibly in a dental gas haze. <laughs> and he, he had quite an experience during his surgery. And you know how some people like to take acid and then listen to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon? Well, he decided to load it onto his iPod and listen to it while under dental gas, but have mistakenly put it on repeat and left it on the track, which has demonic laughter on it. <laughs> and by the time he realised what had happened, the gas has rendered him unable to move and press skip, and he was stuck in a gas haze listening to an incessant loop of demonic laughter. That is the definition of a f***ing nightmare, Andy. Fully aware of your surroundings, unable to move, while your head echoes with the sound of cackling and a man drills into your face. <laughs> Sounds like one of my gigs, John. <laughs> Apparently, he was trying to summon the strength just to pull the earphones out of the iPod, but he couldn't do it. And the fact that he could tell that story the same day without harrowingly reliving the appalling experience shows that he's either an incredibly well-adjusted person or he was still high on dental gas. <laughs> um, as, as a couple of side notes, the teaser to my new HBO show is going to be on HBO this Sunday night after the final episode of True Detective. I'll tweet out a link to it once it's available. But the teaser is a fascinating sneak peek into a show that it is in no way reflective of. And that's just <laughs> solid marketing right there, isn't it, Andy? That's what you're supposed to do. Well, absolutely, John. Absolutely. Draw it's like in. Nike trying to sell you some shoes by showing you a piece of broccoli. <laughs> and, uh, and finally, there were a number of buglers this week. Uh, who felt the need to alert me to The Onion, apparently doing a version of my Oscar de la Hoya dress <laughs> joke for their Oscar coverage last weekend. People seem to see uh, to want to see me uh, take some legal action over it, but that's not going to happen, and I'll tell you why. One, I'm sure there's nothing nefarious going on. It's entirely possible that two people simply came up with the same profoundly stupid idea. And two... You can't sue over a joke that is literally worthless. In fact, <laughs> it's almost worth me suing just so and then and winning just so I can have a judge say, I hereby find that your intellectual property rights have been infringed and uh, the court awards damages of zero dollars to the plaintiff. <laughs> the reason being, this is the single dumbest joke the court has ever been exposed to. And the only thing worse than one person telling it is two people telling it. I hereby sentence both of you to death. <laughs>
So, um, uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. Uh, this week, uh, a travel guide, a sponsored travel guide, sponsored by Holly Drones, the leading holiday-by-drone specialist. Uh, yet another military trickle-down benefit to you, the consumer. Not only can uh, drones be used to deliver instant American speed justice, as well as wedding presents from pretty far off the gift list, and parcels from Amazon, but now, thanks to our friends at Holly Drones, you and your family can take exotic foreign holidays in the privacy of your own living room by sending your drone on vacation for you. With real-time footage streamed directly to your internet-enabled TV, the Holly Drone will beam back video from the beach, a nice restaurant, a top-level museum, and leading tourist sites like, for example, Europe or Disneyland. So you can save yourself the hassle of actually travelling to these filthy places that are packed with people speaking funny. It can also take you to places you would never even thought of going on holiday. The war-torn Democratic Republic of Congo, for example. Or inaccessible places, like somewhere where penguins like to hump. Or the White House. With a 360-degree rotating camera, the Holodrone will give you a full immersive holiday-style experience. Sightseeing, sunbathing, and even, even offering internet-linked artificial intelligence. Able to order a takeaway that is the closest match to the cuisine of wherever your Holodrone is currently buzzing around. It can even, with its instant message touchscreen light up a holiday romance with someone else's drone priced at just $80,000 per week rental the holodrone is much more expensive than actually going on holiday and therefore significantly better <laughs> top story this week insane in the Ukraine <laughs> crazy insane got no brain <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh well John, it's, well, it's, well, it's well. very notable. Uh, the more yep. you you get yep. to the stage where you are in charge of TV shows in America, that your innate punning is coming to the surface. And no, 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 no. Quite no, a dangerous not true, way. Really. Yeah, not there's true. a lot of wordplay. Fine. Even that Oscar de la Hoya joke, I didn't realise at the time. That is it. Was that was that a pun on a fashion designer? Oh, is it, it was. A, it was. I think. Look again, Andy. I can't overstress the. Little amount of thought that went into that. That happened faster than my brain was working. Well, that just shows that, I is, know that is your true comedic soul coming out, John. There's someone, there's, there's someone called Oscar de la Renta, and I don't right. know if he or she makes shoes or dresses, or both. Right. I don't know. But I know that people like him or her. Right. And I, I do know Oscar de la Hoya. Yeah, because I just and thought... I know that those two yeah. names are similar. Right. And I could have said the normal one, but instead, for <laughs> no reason, not even a particularly comedic one, I decided to say the wrong one. See, I just, I thought, I think it, not knowing that that was a pun, made it a better joke. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that's a fair point. Um, well, the point is, Andy, yeah. what a week. If, if last week was about Ukraine, this week has emphatically been about Russia, and I guess to a lesser extent also about the trouble in Ukraine. <laughs> that was quite. A white-knuckle diplomatic roller coaster the world has been on. Uh, at one point on Monday, it seemed like the US and Russia, two nuclear-armed nations, were headed for all-out war. The matchup the world has been waiting to see <laughs> for a century. They shock-teased the world for 24 hours. But once again, in an act of almost tantric warmongering, both sides pulled back from the brink just before a gigantic explosion. <laughs> Monday was a tense, tense day. Uh, with one of the most low-key invasions the world has ever seen. In fact, it wasn't even clear if it was an invasion by Russian troops at one point during the day or just a misplaced stroll. <laughs> Apparently, suspected Russian troops, I say suspected because they, were, they weren't wearing Russian army uniforms, turned up in the cr Crimea on Monday morning and just started standing around. <laughs> Locals were seen going up to them and chatting. 
trying to work out what exactly was going on, whether this was an invasion or an impromptu birthday party. <laughs> if it was a military manoeuvre, Andy, it was a f***ing casual one. <laughs> Although, it is worth remembering that that's basically how the British Empire conquered two-thirds of the world's <laughs> exactly. landmass. Exactly, yeah. Essentially just turning up and saying, uh, do you mind if I put my bag down here? Uh, thanks ever so much. Oof, that was a long trip. Um, I'll just sit down in your house over there for a moment. Would you mind picking my bag up and taking it inside? <laughs> thanks ever so kindly. Now, I don't suppose you'd be an absolute doll and build a railway line between here and Delhi. If you need me, I'll be over there pointing a shotgun at you while you're doing it. Be quiet. <laughs> uh, just hearing some breaking news uh, now in a tit-for-tat's move responding to Russian presence in the Crimea. America has announced that it has occupied Nova Scotia. The uh, dangly Canadian peninsula has been taken over without a bullet being fired as and US troops have hoisted the flags of their favourite football teams up. So this is, I mean, this is spreading, John, as all wars do. It's very dangerous. Here in the US, there was hope earlier in the week that even if Putin would not listen to reason, he might instead listen to the stock market. There was instability <laughs> all day on Monday and a journalist on CNN actually hoped that, and I quote, the market could react as a diplomat. And here's the problem with that concept, Andy. Russia seemed to back down, in a way. By Tuesday, the market had bounced back completely. And the worst lesson we could possibly take away from this is that the market engineered an impressive feat of diplomacy and should henceforth function as our moral compass. Because the market, let's be clear, Andy, the market is not a diplomat, it is a f***ing sociopath. <laughs> sure, Sure, the market might not want a military occupation in Ukraine, but it very much does want factories full of Indonesian 12-year-olds trying not to let their fingers bleed over the low-grade T-shirts they're making. <laughs> it, it'll be a new low for humanity if one of the nominees for this year's Nobel Peace Prize is the market, especially <laughs> seeing as, and this is true, one of the nominees it would be going up against is Vladimir Putin. <laughs> His name was actually put forward for uh, as a nominee uh, for the Nobel Peace Prize this year for reasons that are not 100% clear. Um, one, it could have been for his assistance in getting chemical weapons out of Syria last year. Two, it could have been as a joke. Three, it could have been as a bet. And four, it could have been a filing error. And the person in question was trying to nominate him for the award for old man whose chest most resembles an overstuffed leather couch. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, uh, Vlad, Vlad, Vlad Putin, the self-styled Rusky Rapscally in the St. Petersburg Scallywag, Mickey Mischief from Moscow. The Kremlin Gremlin is not budging an inch. Um, well, I mean, that's not strictly true. The top uh, of his middle finger is budging by about two inches upwards towards the rest of the world. He said on Tuesday, this was amazing, that Russia was, quote, not considering annexing Crimea. Very much like <laughs> I am not considering whether to come into the recording studio for the recording that I'm now already doing. <laughs> And there's been further spanners thrown in the works by the uh, Crimean MPs in the local Crimean government who voted in favour of a law declaring Crimea part of the Russian Federation by 78 votes to nil. 78 nil, John, 100%. That is a suspiciously Russian-sounding margin of victory in a vote. <laughs> that is the kind of margin of victory that Vladimir Putin himself would consider a little bit of a disappointment and vow to work harder to bounce back from. <laughs> It really would be incredible, Andy, if he won the Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> this year after getting up to this level of border and fracking uh, shenanigans. There have been some ludicrous nominees and indeed recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize in the past, but Vladimir Putin winning it this year of all years would really be something. If he won, Putin, I think, 
would have been the first Nobel Peace Prize winner to strap the award to the front of a tank and drive it straight into <laughs> central Kiev before doing donuts in Independence Square, <laughs> saying it's not an invasion, how can it be? I'm the king of peace. Um, the financial side of it uh, has had some um, uh, quite a lot of attention here. There was a government document that was photographed being carried into Downing Street uh, for a meeting of senior ministers that said that London's financial centre should not be closed to Russians, basically saying, we'd like to do a bit more, but it is economically inconvenient. And it shows that we in Britain, we will stand steadfast in defence of our principles. The document also uh, suggested that Britain should push Ban Ki-moon to take the lead in calling and creating uh, a forum for engaging Russia on Ukraine. So there is nothing more that we can do, John. No sacrifice is too great for maintaining the sanctity of national self-government where it is threatened. And we will take the strongest action Conceivable. We will urge someone else to create a forum for engaging in discussions. For we are Britain, John. <laughs> we may have lost some things that define us as a nation with the pitiless passage of that unstoppable uber bitch time. We may have lost, for example, our willingness to fork out for a functioning justice system, our sacred principles of personal freedom, our military's ability to do anything beyond being mentioned earnestly in politicians' speeches, our economic dignity and self-determination. But whatever else we may lose... As a nation, and by lose, I mean willfully abandoned for short-term economic and ideological pettiness. <laughs> we will always steadfastly retain our innate British ability to urge someone else to create a forum for engaging in discussions. No giggling. That that was so rousing, Andy. You're a downbeat Churchill. That's right. It's the last thing you lose as a one-time political heavyweight. <laughs> and uh, just before you thought Putin could not make this situation any more tense... He even conducted a long-range missile test on Tuesday <laughs> in one of the least subtle pieces of gigantic metal dick-swinging imaginable. If I wouldn't have been in the least bit surprised if the Russians had constructed a gigantic pair of trousers around the missile, unzipped the front of them, <laughs> just poked the missile out, waggled it around a bit, and then and only then fired it before zipping the trousers triumphantly back up. The, the Russians were at pains to point out that they had informed the international community when they were about to fire it in full compliance with international law. But of course they did, Andy. That's the whole point. They would have loved making that call. Oh, hello, America. I just wanted you to know that we're um, testing a long-range missile. We're about to fire it. What's that? that Is this test connected to uh, us arguing right now? No, 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 no. That hadn't even even crossed our mind. What a funny thought. I just wanted to let you know it was happening, that we were testing a long-range missile, really long, (laughs) long-range missile. What's that? Could it reach you? I hadn't even crossed my mind. Probably, maybe, I don't know, definitely. I don't know, who knows? Anyway, better go fire it now. Stay away from your windows, just kidding, or not. Bye. Putin, of course, the man who puts the nah into international law, uh, had a bit of a chinwag on the blower last <laughs> night with uh, Obama. A one-hour call. Now, mm. one hour, John, that must have been quite a lot of small talk because presumably the main gist of the conversation was pre- was presumably so regarding niet. Uh, we really should posh all nachoy. Either side of that, <laughs> bit of sport chat probably. They're both like a bit of sport. Maybe talked about girls and motorbikes, whatever young guys like these two cats like to chat about these days. I will quote the, uh, in the words of the great historian A.J.P. Taylor from his influential 1978 disco hits, Rara Rasputin, The Final Decline of Tsarist Monarchy, 1906 to 1918. Oh, those Russians. Well, if you're looking for a positive, that's the good point, though. If you're looking for a positive from uh, all of this mess, it might be that it seems like the Russia-US Cold War might be back on, at least a version of it. And that might not be entirely a terrible thing, because the beauty is that however much they want to, Russia and the United States 
can't actually fight each other. Because if they do, everybody dies. <laughs> the world basically ends. So instead, they have to take all that pent-up energy and apply it to something else. Last time this, uh, their relationship got this tense, America ended up putting a man on the moon basically out of pure spite. <laughs> they, they just did it because they had a sense that Russia probably wanted to do it first. And so game on again now, I guess, because they either fire nuclear missiles at each other and end life on Earth as we know it, or they start their engines and race to something that there's no point going to. Brace yourself, Mars. You might be about to get a flag shoved in you. <laughs> and I tell you what, John, there are going to be some unbelievably fast women 400-metre runners over the next 10 years if this pans out <laughs> as it could do. That's right. Uh, David Cameron, has, uh, I mean, he's really stepped up to the plate on this one. Uh, he has threatened consequences. If uh, Russia does Ooh. not uh, does not wow. deal with the situation, and if things get even worse than they currently are, he threatened more consequences. Those were his exact words. Nicely vague. The thing with consequences, John, could be anything from full blown full blown nuclear war um, uh, to the UK deploying former Olympic javelin champion Tessa Sanderson to the Ukrainian border to throw a javelin onto Russian soil to uh, Cameron urinating on a voodoo Vladimir Putin live on television. It's a great problem for any British Prime Minister, John, that saying there will be consequences in a posh British accent just does not carry the same weight as saying there will be consequences in a Russian accent. That is just a fact <laughs> of the human voice box. And today, as we record on Friday, just uh, two or 300 miles away uh, from the Crimea, the Sochi Paralympics uh, is beginning. Um, you, uh, Putin has, in fact, suggested, uh, according to sources close to the bugle, that the entire Ukraine incident uh, is, in fact, uh, just part of the closing ceremony from the Winter Olympics that... Uh, Got a bit overlong and out of hand, as these closing ceremonies inevitably do. And further further proof of quite how serious this crisis is came with the news that some countries, John, are considering not sending their dignitaries to the Paralympic opening ceremony. You cannot send Russia any clearer message than that. Mm -hmm. At all. Cameron said uh, a week ago or so, every country should respect the territorial integrity and sovereignty of the U Ukraine. Russia has made that commitment, and it is important that Russia keeps its word. The world will be watching, said Cameron. And he was right. Russia did not keep its word, and the world is indeed standing by and watching with a bit of a scowl on its face. All in all, as you suggest, it has been arguably one of the weirdest wars in history, even if it's not technically yet uh, a war. Alongside, for example, Zanzibar versus Britain in 1896, that was a war that lasted 38 minutes. Yes, good war. Britain versus the Netherlands. Uh, that was a 335-year-long war in which there were a total of zero casualties. Weird war. <laughs> it was Passive-aggressive war. Yeah, it was declared. It was, I think, late 17th century or mid-17th mid century. The war was declared after some dispute about an island somewhere in the... Uh, uh, somewhere off the coast of Britain, and um, nothing was done about it, and then everyone just forgot there was still a war going on, and a peace treaty was officially signed in the 1980s. There was the Pig War, discussed in Bugle 78, uh, that resulted in one dead pig, a bit of name-calling and mild bickering between Britain and America. Uh, there was an emu war in Australia, in which the Australian military managed to lose a war against some emus, and that is more true than it should be. And the Russo-Antarctic War, in which Nikita Khrushchev uh, chipped his tooth on an ice cube while si simultaneously drinking a mojito and singing Perry Como's Magic Moments at a Cuban night in the Kremlin during the Bay of Pigs crisis. He collapsed in drunken ag agony and declared war on Antarctica and all ice until it was pointed out to him that he'd have to invade his own Siberia, at which point he said, oh, balls, war's off. The war lasted only eight seconds and resulted in just 120,000 Russian deaths. That's just the way they used to do their wars back then. <laughs> 
Ancient virus news now. And uh, there was a particularly terrifying story this week, unless you live in uh, Ukraine, Syria, Somalia, Egypt, or any of the many, many countries <laughs> where there is a fr- lots of frightening news that is not merely theoretical. But uh, an ancient virus has come back to life after lying dormant for at least 30,000 years. It was found frozen in a deep layer of the Siberian permafrost. But after it thawed, it became infectious once again. Did it have to be Siberia? Andy, because it was, it was probably trapped under about 100 feet of historically frozen tears. And the point is, that sequence of sentences also reads like the plot on the back cover of an abandoned VHS tape found behind a liquidated blockbuster. <laughs> Ice virus. Jean-Claude Van Damme is Professor Dublinsky, who accidentally releases a 30,000-year-old disease while drilling for frozen Siberian plutonium. Can he defeat the ancient disease with a roundhouse kick? Yes, he does. (laughs) This film is 93 minutes with occasional boobs. (laughs) Um, The the French scientists uh, uh, who discovered it say the uh, contagion poses no danger to human or animals, but other viruses could be unleashed as the ground becomes exposed. I tell you what, Andy, that sounds like a pretty sweet sequel to Ice Virus. <laughs> Ice Virus 2. Jean-Claude Van Damme is back as Professor Dublinsky. Gerard Depardieu is arrogant French scientist Dr. Camembert. <laughs> Damn it, Dr. Camembert, how could you let another virus escape? Silence, Dublinsky. You know nothing of my work. Do not think that one of your roundhouse kicks can kill this virus. Can Jean-Claude Van Damme defeat the virus with a roundhouse kick? No. Does he do it with a karate chop? Yes, he does. This film is 92 minutes with frequent boobs. <laughs> Solid sequel, Andy. Solid well, sequel. And that, coming from you, John, that means a lot. That means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that means box, box office smash and artistic vortex. Um, <laughs> well, the interesting thing about this... Um, this far, it's from 30,000 years ago. That is technically from yeah. before the world even existed, if mm-hmm. little Billy Bible writer is anything to go by. Uh, and this virus is absolutely massive, John. It's the biggest virus ever found. Uh, so big that you can see it under a microscope. It's 1.5 micrometers in length. Um, but what, John, you have to ask, what if deeper in this permafrost they find even bigger viruses, maybe the size of a marrow? Or a cat. What then, John? I do not want to spend the rest of my life batting off killer viruses like irritating tennis balls at a badly positioned picnic. That is <laughs> it's not how I see the, the future. And it raises a number of very important uh, very important questions, this, uh, this thawed-out virus. For example, could dinosaurs come back to life? Why are viruses all such dicks? Would you trust Vladimir Putin with a, with a test tube and a big chunk of Siberia? The answer to that is, is the Pope a go-go dancer? And, from a British perspective, could Captain Oates be found on Antarctica, thawed out and brought back to life? He could really spice up some celebrity chat shows. I would, I would love to see that happen, John. Would you, would you have him on your show, Captain Oates, if he was... Uh, yeah, definitely. Found, uh, definitely. But it would have, he'd have to be plugging something, Andy. Right. You're, you've got to have a natural conversation to talk around. Right. Not just, where have you been? Any funny stories from your death? That's just, that's not going to fly, Andy. He can do that on network TV. <laughs> or he can play ping pong with Jimmy Fallon. You know, he's got options. I'm saying just come come with an agenda. Um, in other Armageddon-related news, a couple of other stories that maybe um, link in with this. There was one from uh, Lancashire in northern Britain. Uh, 
Northern England. A teenage boy has built a nuclear reactor at school. <laughs> Again, what could possibly oh, go wrong with that? Ice virus three. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You just know when you read. Yeah, let's just going to end up with a a hot guy and a fit chick running around in overtight t-shirts whilst zombies conquer the earth. Um, and also this week, a chunky little asteroid zipped between Earth and the Moon at 30,000 miles an hour, missing, smashing into the planet and destroying everything by just a few thousands and thousands of miles. Ice virus 4 there. So what is... Uh, I don't know what you think the most likely Armageddon scenario is, Buglers. I guess the options are A, deadly megavirus the size of a dog, uh, B, teenage boy explodes homemade nuke in bedroom, uh, three, <laughs> asteroid misjudges fly past and splats into Earth again, uh, D, Ukraine gets funky and sparks a worldwide nuclear flip-out, uh, E, wrath of God, basic wrath of God, or uh, even F, fracking, causing the Earth to crack like a teenage egg. Basically, John, it's hard to see one of those not happening within the next 18 months. Pope news now. Uh, The Pope, Andy, is increasingly beloved by the global media, whether he's expressing his historic and groundbreaking partial tolerance of gay couples (laughs) or finding himself, as he did this week, holding up a baby handed to him in the crowd dressed in a little Pope costume. People can't, people can't get enough of Pope Aldino I. So much so that a new magazine has been launched in Italy this week, a glossy 68-page real-life magazine called Il Mio Papa, My Pope, uh, which hit newsstands on Wednesday. And this might be his first... Genuine miracle, Andy. The Pope has brought print journalism back from the dead. (laughs) Some popes get sainted for making the blind see. This Pope instead decided to go full Lazarus on the magazine industry. It is a true miracle, Andy. There was no pulse in magazines. None. They were just corpses littering pavements across the world. And now a new one is suddenly getting up and walking around screaming, I can sell! Oh my God, I can actually sell! Sounds like a real page turner, though. Uh, um, my Pope, my Pope. Is it mm. weekly or monthly? What are we looking it at? It is here? weekly, and apparently right. each weekly issue is going to have pronouncements and photographs in it with peeks into the Pope's personal life. Each issue will also include, and this is true, a pull-out centerfold of the Pope <laughs> accompanied by a quote. Oh what a what a lovely thing. To put on your bedroom wall, Andy. Perhaps right. the quote will be, I can see what you're doing, and unless she's about to get pregnant, you're both going to hell. <laughs> the magazine's editor, Aldo Vitali, uh, said, It's sort of a fanzine, but of course, it can't be something that you do for One Direction. We aim to be more respectful, more noble. <laughs> wow, really? They're aiming incredibly high there, yeah. Andy. More noble and respectful than a One Direction fanzine. To be honest, you could take a dump on a piece of cardboard and be more respectful <laughs> and more noble than a One Direction magazine. Seriously, Andy, which is more noble a piece of reading matter? Liam tells us his five favourite cereals and Harry reveals his top ten eye colours in a girl. <laughs> or you can go for something more substantial and read a human shit on an old cornflakes box. <laughs> One Direction would be quite an appropriate name for a uh, magazine <laughs> put out by the Catholic Church. True, true. Not the most flexible of organisations. Towards the past. <laughs> um, you'd think the Pope would be flattered by all of this, but in fact he seems a bit uncomfortable with his newfound popularity. In an interview with the Corriella della Sera 
this week. He said uh, he doesn't appreciate the myth-making that has seen him depicted as, and I quote, super pope. <laughs> so he doesn't want people to think he's a super pope, but to be honest, Andy, isn't that exactly the kind of thing that super pope would say? <laughs> he'd, he'd want to conceal his super pope identity. Also, the modesty thing. It's just a little bit hard, Andy, to swallow, coming from the head of the Vatican. Please, I'm far too humble to want to be called a super pope. You can simply refer to me as the infallible church leader appointed directly by God. I'm just a regular guy who people kneel before. (laughs) He said a couple of interesting things this week. He's defended the Catholic Church's record on tackling uh, the sexual abuse of children by saying, no one else has done more to root out paedophilia. (laughs) <laughs> which is rather eerily reminiscent of cigarette companies saying, look how many lives we've saved by making our cigarettes low tar. We are the heroes. Why are you still giving a shit? And the other interesting thing he said this week was f***. Um, <laughs> apparently, inadvertently, uh, in a speech in Italian last weekend, he used the word uh, cazzo, which is the equivalent of f- uh, rather than casso, which means case. Uh, and uh, one uh, article I read about it, from a British newspaper said, this makes Pope Francis the first pontiff in history ever to let slip an expletive in public. Now that, John... In public, yeah. In that, John, public. Well, that simply cannot be true, John. When you look at all the no- <laughs> naughty popes in history there have been. True. John Twelfth, I think we discussed him recently on the Bugle. Yeah. I bet he stood on the balcony in St Peter's when he was poping up all over the shop in the 10th century and said to the entire congregation, I am going to f- you all before grabbing his <laughs> grabbing his crotch and gobbing off the balcony and he'd have meant it too he would have meant it boniface the eighth the old turn of the 14th century pontiff squabble with poetry celeb dante who in his smash hit comedy the divine comedy plonks little boniface in the eighth circle of hell or florida as you call it john uh, boniface the eighth he smashed up an entire town near rome killing six thousand people and destroying a shrine to the virgin mary that is not the most popey of behavior and it is hard to believe that at some point in this little rumble of his he did not turn around to one of his cardinals flamethrower in hand and shout F- yeah this is what i'm talking about <laughs> 14th century historian john gower john uh, he, a uh, very elegant uh, left-handed historian, um, claimed that Boniface, uh, Boniface tricked Pope Celestine V into abdicating by having a young cleric pretending to be the voice of God speak to him while <laughs> no. he was sleeping and convince no him to abdicate. Way. No way. So, How is this the first time I'm hearing this story, Andy? <laughs> so, uh, is well, this true? Yeah, well, it's true that it was written oh. by a 14th century historian. That's um, fine. I'm in. I'm fine. That's credible as far as I'm concerned. This is too good not to be true. If that is true, could Pope Boniface, Boniface VIII possibly have pulled off that stunt without saying afterwards, that was funny. That was funny as <laughs> f***. <laughs> no, oh, it's impossible. Here's, here's another thing by Gower, who was uh, you know, not necessarily the most reliable historian, but had a lot of flair. Uh, he repeats the, uh, the rumour that... Um, that's some pretty niche uh, references for any cricket fans listening. Um, that that uh, Boniface died by gnawing off his own hands. But um, now, uh, he attributes this to hunger rather than a deliberate suicide attempt. <laughs> well, you'd hope so. But uh-huh. I challenge any bugler out there to eat off their own hands without swearing. That is not possible. Because <laughs> it's either going to be very painful or surprisingly tasty. Either way, Fair you're going to struggle to keep control of your language. Fair point. That hurts. Holy yeah. shit, that's delicious. Yep. Popes, I'm just saying, popes have sworn. We just tend to exaggerate everything these days. 
But I gotta say, Andy, it was the it was the first thing you said before the holy f- incident uh, that really shocked me. So I gotta say, when this new pope came into office, I've been expecting, I've been experiencing a little bit of a crisis of faith in the Catholic Church, you know, specifically in its ability to function as an almost cartoonishly reactionary force permanently <laughs> stuck in a 13th century sense of morality. It's been a confusing time. My faith in the destructive and self-destructive force of the Vatican had been unshakable my whole life, Andy, and this Pope seemed to threaten to overturn that with his you know, seemingly progressive views, which is why I was so relieved, in a way, <laughs> to experience my kind of come-to-Damascus moment when, in, as you mentioned, in the, in the same Super Pope interview with the Corriere de Sera, he said, and I quote, no one has done more to prevent child abuse than the Catholic Church. And suddenly, Andy, faith restored. I will never doubt the Church's ability to disappoint again. <laughs> in, in the interview, Pope Francis uh, explicitly defended the Catholic Church's record on tackling the sexual abuse of children by priests, saying no one has done more to root out pedophilia. Well, if that's true, which it isn't, Andy, but if it is, which it absolutely isn't, but if it is, it might be worth mentioning that no one has done more to provide cases of pedophilia to root out either. In fact, the more I think about it, almost every organisation in the world has done more to root it out, root out child (laughs) abuse than the Catholic Church. I think Reebok has done more, (laughs) and Reebok hasn't really done anything. (laughs) The... These comments were in response to uh, the United Nations last last week denouncing the Catholic Church for their systematic cover-up of uh, child abuse uh, and accusing the Church of uh, systematically placing the preservation of the reputation of the Church and the alleged offender over the protection of child victims. And the Pope strongly rebuffed these claims, saying, and I quote, the Catholic Church is perhaps the only public institution to have acted with transparency and responsibility. No one else has done more, yet the church is the only one to have been attacked. Well, hold on, Andy. Oh, it's easy to mock that, but let's let's pause for a moment, because if the Pope honestly feels that the church has been abused, if he has evidence of that abuse, or even just an inkling that abuse of the church has taken place, we must address that, because I'm sure everyone would agree that to not address and immediately investigate any claims of abuse whatsoever, <laughs> that would truly be unforgivable. <laughs> Well, that is all for this week's Bugle. I'm afraid no time for emails because John has to go and have his uh, his mouth chainsawed off by a dentist. Um, That's right. <laughs> so good luck with that. I've got to get a root canal root canaled. I right. don't know what that means, but it sounds fun. <laughs> I've got to fire up Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll be back. Uh, in fact, we're off next week because I'm going off to India for uh, just a week. Um, so we'll put something out uh, as a bonus sub-Bugle next week and then we'll be back in two weeks' time with Bugle 263. In the meantime, best of luck to everyone in Ukraine. We hope you're still there by the time the next Bugle is broadcast. Goodbye. Bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. 
God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs> 